So, uh, Lord God, here we are. I pray that you would help us to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, brought these, these books with me in order to help explain Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15. We preached on that last, last week, but this week I want to explain a little more about the books. Both the books in Revelation 20 and the books I, I carry around with me. If you've been around a while, I've shown you the, the books before, so this might be a little bit of a, of a review for you. But I think it will be helpful, and then it allowed me to have Thanksgiving with my kids and goof around and not spend the whole week uh, writing, writing sermons. Uh, sorry, these books are, are kind of awkward. Um, they make it hard to, hard to move, but I want to show them to you. I, I carry them around with me. I carry them with me. Uh, I used to carry them with me all the time, um, and I still carry them with me some uh, these days uh, because, you see, I want to be good. And uh, these books give me, give me uh, knowledge of, of the good. These are uh, the books of, of judgment, the books of judgment. And uh, they're incredibly complicated and extensive. So I, I, I'm just actually showing you some of them, and, and then I wanted to explain just like one page for, from one book for one day at a certain moment back in 19, uh, 1975. I, I brought with me some uh, cutting-edge overhead transparency film from 1975, to reproduce one of those uh, pages for you and just explain how the, how the books work, okay? So this is one page from uh, one moment on one day in the fall of 1975. And for the sake of simplicity, I've edited this one page down to uh, three people, Bobby, me, and Dave. At any moment... This is how I would judge and determine the good and the bad, or the good and, and the evil. On the left side of this particular page, page number 924,465,432, p.m., you'll see the table of good deeds. But of course, in 1975, I called these categories of cool. Right, the categories of, of cool. On the right, you'll see the record of good deeds measured in UGUs, that's universal goodness units, and it's calculated for me and my neighbors, which at 327 on this particular day was uh, Bobby, Bobby and Dave. One category of cool that was really important to us back in 1975 was ski tags. People don't know about that today, right, Alan? Alan was there. He knows these people. Um, but you, you wore ski tags on your jacket, and the more you had, the cooler you were, because it meant you went skiing a lot. Well, Bobby always had a lot of ski tags on his jacket, so 
I don't know, give them two UGUs, two universal goodness units, two, two points. And, and I had a lot of ski tags on my jacket, so give me two. Dave never had any ski tags on his jacket, so give him nothing. Sports, uh, sports was really a big deal. Bobby was really good at sports, so give him a three. I at least tried out for a sport, so give me a three. Dave didn't do any sports, so give him nothing. Now, hopefully this is kind of familiar to you, right? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that our brains do constantly, and I'm just slowing it down a little bit here to explain how this works. This might all happen in like a nanosecond in the supercomputer of Peter Hyatt's brain in, in 10th grade. Girls, girls was really important. All the girls like Bobby. A cheerleader once talked to me, so give me three. Uh, Dave didn't have a girlfriend. Pimples, Bobby uh, never had pimples. I, I, I did have um, some, some pimples. Um, uh, Dave once came to school with dried clearasil on his face. Not, not kidding, so, so that's minus one. Dumb, dumb instruments, Bobby didn't play any dumb instruments, so that gives him three points. I didn't play any dumb instruments, so that gives me three points. Dave, no kidding, was the state champion cello player. Minus four. Body function noises. Bobby, Bobby didn't have a whole lot of body function noises. Uh, me, I could do, I could actually do fairly well in that department. Dave could burp the entire alphabet. That is spectacular. Plus four. So anyway, what you do is you, you tabulate these scores. Now, of course, these scores are factored into historic scores that you keep in your brain. But for the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to figure from zero so that you can understand this day, okay? So this is what you do. You add them up, and like Bobby has 14, I think. I have 12. My math might be off a little bit there. Uh, Dave has minus one. And then you go down here to the computation of the good and the bad, and you compute the relative score. So I think Bobby is like 14 up here, and I'm like up here at 12. And Dave is like down here at minus one. After you plot the score, uh, then you plot the UGL. Uh, you plot it just maybe half a unit under your score. The UGL is um, uh, the universal geek line. Okay, and, and what it shows you is it separates the good from the bad. Or in other words, this is the cool zone, and this is the, the dweeb zone. So it tells you the, the good and, and, and the bad. Now, I was ruled by the book of judgment, this book of judgments in 10th grade. It determined who I sat with at lunch. Um, it determined who I said hey dude to in the hallway. Um, it's the reason that I went out for sports that I hated like cross-country in order to score points. It's the reason that I quit piano in third grade, because the cool kids up the street did not play piano. It determined my moods. If uh, Bobby got a zit, I rejoiced because it made me that much closer to my idol, my goal. And when I was down, I could just watch Dave carrying his cello across the football field while I practiced soccer. And in doing so, I could judge him last and the least of these and make me feel better about uh, myself. Well, that year, I got cut from the soccer team. 
In all my life, I don't know if I've ever been as depressed as I was that day. But you see, it was not because I cared about soccer. It was because suddenly I had been knocked down into the dweeb zone. I remember literally going down behind my house and sitting in a hole by the railroad tracks and weeping uncontrollably and thinking to myself, how will I ever explain to my grandchildren that I was a dweeb? Yes, your grandfather was, was a dweeb. Maybe is, is a dweeb. That hurt like hell. But after a few days of moping, I just changed a few categories and lowered the universal geek line. Maybe change this one to religion, something like that. But you see, that's the, that's the beauty of this entire system. But it's also why it's so much work. All the constant computing. It's also why I kind of lived in fear, because, you know, things change. And what if my calculations are somehow inaccurate? Dave's book may look a little different than my book. And what if I'm Bobby's dweeb in his book to make him feel better about himself, the last and the least of those for, for, for him? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, 10th grade boys are so incredibly immature, right? Well, let me show you a page out of the Book of Judgment for the standard American adult male. Look at that. It looks like almost just the same. I mean, the operating system is the same, pride, shame, envy, fear. It's just that the table of good deeds, the categories of cool, have kind of changed. Instead of zits, it's something like business success. Uh, instead of sports, it's wife and kids and landscaping and snowblower horsepower. You know, that seems to matter to guys or whatever. And the universal geek line has now become something like uh, the respectability line, and it determines who you invite over for, for dinner. Above are the successful, and below are the less uh, fortunate. And you measure yourself now against your neighbors, like your, your friends, your family. Uh, Osama bin Laden. It's important to have someone like Osama bin Laden on your chart. Uh, because that when you feel down about yourself, you can say, well, at least I've never flown a plane in the World Trade Center or bombed a subway, and you can judge him the last and the least of these. Hey, this is a standard page from a book of judgments for a standard Al-Qaeda operative or a Taliban soldier. And check this out. It's like just the same. It's just that the table of good deeds has changed. It, instead of snowblower horsepower, it's something like beard length and beard bullishiness and dominance of sassy women. I mean, it's not all bad, okay? Fighting in jihad, dying for Allah. And instead of the geek line, now you have something like the, the fatwa line. And above it are the faithful, and below it are the infidels. And uh, the operating system is just the same, pride, shame, envy, fear. Hey, look, here's a page out of the Book of Judgment for a standard Jewish Pharisee. And you'll notice that it's like really just the same. It looks just the same. It's just that the categories of cool have changed. So it's things like nation and tribe, ritual, ritual law, phylactery length, circumcision party. Not sure exactly what that is, but you'll find it in the Bible if you're part of the circumcision. It sounds like a drag to me. Not eating 
with the last and least of these tax collectors and sinners, not getting yourself crucified on a tree. And, and the universal geek line, did, did, I don't know, the chosen and the, and the not chosen or, or something like that. And, and now I know what you're thinking. You're saying, hey, I'm kind of getting your point. And I am so grateful that I'm not a Jew and I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Christian, dang it. So, okay, check this out. Here's a page from the Standard American Christian Book of Judgment, and look at that. It looks like just the same. It's just that the categories of cool have changed to things like no cussing. Nobody really knows exactly what that means, but there's a list somewhere that somebody has. And neato words you get to say, like propitiation, bless you, church attendance, smiling a lot, bumper stickers and T-shirts, and the best categories of cool. In other words, we pride ourselves on having a better knowledge of good and evil. Universal geek line now is something like salvation. And above it are the saved. And below it, well, we're not supposed to judge, so what we do is we wonder. This is the, I wonder if they know the Lord's own. I wonder if they know. I know I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, great point, Peter. I am so glad that I am and in an enlightened, non-legalistic, authentic Christian. Hey, here's a page out of the Book of Judgment for a standard, enlightened, non-legalistic, authentic Christian. And check this out. It's like just the same layout. It's just the categories of cool have changed to things like understanding your freedom in Christ, not being judgmental, grace for all, loving the last and the least of these. And yet, the operating system really is just the same. Pride... Uh, shame, envy, fear, and, and so what happens when we, when we play by this book? We, we, well, we, became, we become enslaved to understanding your freedom in Christ. Uh, we judge people on whether or not they're judgmental. Um, we're driven to be grateful to everyone, and we use the last and the least of these to score points in our book. Right? We feed the poor and hungry, not because we love the poor and hungry, but because, well, that's a way to impress God and, and uh, get points. Here's a page from my book of judgments for right now. Same layout, same operating system. It's just the categories of cool have changed to things like preaching well, church size, family, um, sharing the gospel with people, how the news of how good uh, God is. Uh, the universal geek line is now something like the um, you're okay, Peter, line. And above it is the rest zone. I can rest. And below it is get to work. And I measure uh, myself against my new neighbors, my fellow pastors, people like uh, Andrew Trawick. Some of you know Andrew. He's an evangelist. Tim Brewer, who is a pastor. And Dave Jones. This is the same Dave, the cello player. Uh, it turns out that Jesus was in Dave. <laughs> we became uh, really good friends. He was the best man in my wedding. An amazing guy. Great wit. Amazing mind, big heart for God, and a great speaker. We did youth ministry together in Los Angeles, but I still kept these books in, in my heart. So when Dave spoke at youth group, 
I secretly hoped that the message did not go well. My friend Tim had a larger church than me in St. Louis, but in a depression one night, he asphyxiated himself in the garage, leaving behind his wife and his kids in a, a wounded church. And something inside of me said, Hey, Peter, you won. You're a winner. I so clearly remember the night that um, Dave fell up to pieces in my arms, sobbing, Peter, she's leaving me. She wants a divorce. That was 30 years ago. Now Dave is happily married to the love of his life, but I need to tell you that that night as my best friend descended into hell, as I held him and I felt the waves of pain coursing through the muscles in his back, something inside me said, hey Peter, you're first. Dave's last. Be happy. You know, Andrew, he was here last week. He's, he's like my brother. Andrew would come back from mission trips to places like Mozambique and share how hundreds or maybe thousands of people came to Christ, and I would get depressed. Why? Because in that same time, I didn't lead anybody to Christ. So what's my desire? That people would never come to know Jesus? What the hell am I doing? Wishing people to hell just to guard my own fragile ego? Wishing people to hell to feel better about myself? You see, when I live by these books, I end up hating my best friends, hating the kingdom of God, and maybe even hating God. And then when I see that, I hate myself, and I condemn myself. I do the work of the accuser for him. I think Scripture refers to all these categories of cool as the law. And the energy with which I keep these books, the flesh. And the name of this game, well, the game is called justification. And when I play it this way, I'm justifying myself. When I play the game, when I live by the books, I walk in death. I can't live gracefully carrying all those books on my back. I can't dance well, sing well, laugh well, or live well. I consume the good like a beast, and I use love like a harlot. Ironically, trying to be good, I cannot be good. In fact, I make myself bad even evil. I'm imprisoned in a body of death and a psyche from hell. That's the abomination of desolation. Jesus said, what is exalted among men, and that's what this is, it's all about exalting the self. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus said you must lose your life, your psyche. That's the way you think, the way you perceive. You must lose your psyche to find it. You must stop thinking about yourself in order to love. You see, just keeping the books, I can't love others. I can't love God. I can't even love myself. First John 3, 14. He who does not love abides in death. What happens when I do this? I get trapped in me. You know what that's like, right? You're at a party and you're doing this and you just get trapped in yourself. I get trapped in me and I become one of the walking dead, a zombie. 
Genesis 2.16. God said, Adam, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, good and bad, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The knowledge of good and evil, taken from the tree, as if the good were a thing to be consumed, is called the law. At the dragon's tempting, Adam took knowledge of the good, got the law, and lost God, who is the good. Adam got knowledge that he was naked, bad, and dead, the walking dead, and knowledge that he was exiled from God, who is the good and the source of all life. When I justify myself, everything dies. That's my judgment and the fruit of my judgment. So let's uh, look at God's judgment, what we started preaching on last time. Revelation 20, verse 11. John writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead. Now, in the last paragraph, the previous paragraph, John saw the living, those who live and reign with Christ, the first resurrection, those who have been born again and have eternal life. You see, whoever is alive in Christ is not one of the dead that John is looking at. Or whatever in you is alive in Christ is not one of the dead that John is looking at. Your, your, your new man, we've been talking about the new man, your new man is not dead. But your old man is. That's what we talked about um, last week. In Christ you have a new man that is life eternal and you have an old man that is dead. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small. He says great and small, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Ergon, they were judged by their works or judged by their deeds. The dead are judged by the things in the books according to their deeds, that is, their works. Jesus said, judge not, lest you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. So if, if you want to play by the books, you'll, you'll get the books. And when you get the books, you'll already be dead because playing by the books is death. Have you ever wondered why it is that all over the world, wherever you go, across the globe, people have a knowledge of good and evil? We argue about the categories of cool, <laughs> the definitions of, of good, but people everywhere know that there is such a thing as the good, and people everywhere try to make themselves good by keeping score in these books. I think it's because we all know deep inside that we have a creator and he is good and he has access to books. It may be that he keeps no record of wrongs. Paul says love keeps no record of wrongs, but Satan does. He's the accuser. He's, he's your accuser. Well, anyway, we exist in fear of these books, constantly preparing our defense. That's what I was doing in 10th grade. 
We exist in fear of these books, constantly preparing our defense, for we know that one day there will be an accounting. But Jesus revealed uh, the categories of cool or, or the definitions of good. Well, he revealed what that accounting is based upon. He quoted Deuteronomy saying this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this rests all the law and prophets. By loving my neighbor, that was the people on the bottom of my chart, by loving my neighbor, I love God, or I don't love God. Matthew 25, Jesus described the judgment this way. You know, Jesus didn't talk about many judgments. He just talked about the judgment. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, all the peoples, and he will separate people, uh, one from another, or just separate people. I, I think it, it may be a little more accurate. Separate people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. He says some stuff now to the sheep on the right, and, and then he says this, verse 41. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you, serve you? Then he will answer them saying, truly. It means pay attention to this. Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, Colossian, but the righteous into eternal life. So if you want to live by the books, you'll get the books. God will give you the books. God is in Lazarus sitting by the gate. He's in the last and the least of these. God is in the stranger. God is in the immigrant. God is in the sojourner. The judgment is happening all the time. The goats say, when did we see you? Well, they didn't see him, ever. They just saw the last and the least of these. Or at best, a way to score points. Do you realize that just judge, by judging someone, the last or the least, you judge Jesus as the last of the least because that's what he said. Whatever you do to the least of these, you, 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 you do to me. Remember when he walked this earth, almost everyone judged him last and least, baby in a food trough, peasant on a cross, cursed by God. That's the very last, the very least. So if you need someone to be last and least, Jesus says, look at me. Anyway, living by the books, you see, I constantly crucify Christ and condemn myself. I hate my neighbor, and so I hate God, and then hate myself, and I broadcast to the heavenly praises. Yes, I, Peter Hyatt, stole fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I took the life of the good, and now I'm dead, pretending to be alive at church. Well, if we dare guess at God's books, or his book, what do you suppose it would look like? I'm guessing that it would look uh, maybe kind of, sort of, something uh, like this. Uh, the table of good deeds, the categories of cool, was just basically perfect love. 
love the Lord your God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself. The, the universal geek line is perfect love, and it's all the way up here at uh, infinity. Above it is light. Below it is dark. Above it is uh, good. Below it is evil. Above is creation. Below is the abyss, the void, Sheol, death, and, and hell. Above is reality. Below is illusion. Above is I am, and below is I am not. So how do you suppose we measure up? Now this is interesting because Paul said love keeps no record of wrongs. But suppose he did. How do we, how do we measure up? Mother Teresa, I mean, she's pretty amazing, right? So that's what? Uh, relative to infinity, I mean, maybe she'd show up here somewhere, a little bit of good. Osama bin Laden, probably not as good as Mother Teresa. We don't really know his story, but uh, maybe just a little blip down here. There's Francis Forgione. How do you think she'd, let's judge her. What do you think? Mother Teresa, Osama bin Laden, which Mother Teresa, more, okay, so a little higher than Mother Teresa. Me, now be careful, okay, be nice, but, but anyway, that's what I'm doing. I'm always thinking uh, about me, but I go, well, at least I'm as good as Osama bin Laden. I've never flown a plane into the World Trade Center. And so uh, where, where are you? That's the question. Where are, are you? But, you know, really all of this is just an illusion because love keeps no record of wrongs. And maybe the reason that love keeps no record of wrongs is because of what God said to Moses. Remember, whoever sins, I will blot out of my book. Just one sin and you're already blotted out. No point in keeping a record. Just to reckon according to the books is to take the knowledge of good and evil from the tree, is to crucify the life and declare yourself dead. Uh, so, so we might wonder, what's the point of the books? What's the point of the law? What, what good is the law? Well, number one, the law does tell us that we're dead, doesn't it? It reveals that to us. Uh, number two, the knowledge of good and evil, it tells Adam, it tells mankind that a walk with God in a garden is better than a law library, because that's what he chose, a law library, and missed out on the walk with God. And number three, the books tell us that we cannot create ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. And once you know that you cannot save yourself, perhaps you're ready to meet the Savior, who is the good. Not dead, but alive. So anyway, where does Jesus measure up on all this chart? Well, well Jesus lived a perfect life, right? Perfect life, and he died a perfect death. That's Jesus. He is everything the law of God describes. Scripture calls him the ultimate Adam, the eschatos man, the, the finished Adam, the image of God who is love. He is the image of God. He's the standard. That means he's the measure. He is the good. He's the judgment of God. He said, I judge no one, and yet he is the judgment. He said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and then he said, I am the light. Light of the world. Well, in Revelation 20, on the last day, when it is finished, books are opened. 
their record of our deeds according to the law. Uh, God's law, and I think maybe all law, because the law is even written on the Gentiles' hearts, books are opened and another book, singular, is opened. One book, the book of life. Jesus is the life. Revelation 13 and 17, we read that this book contains names written from the foundation of the world. Names, it doesn't say deeds, but names. To the Hebrew mind, a name uh, meant person. Names were persons. These are persons who belong to the Lamb on the throne. It's the Lamb's book of life. In other words, it's his choice. It's his book. He's the one that writes names in the book. It's his choice, not our choice. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he gives life to whomever he chooses. That's what he says. So you know him a little bit. Whom do you think he chooses to give life to? A few or a lot? How would he be most glorified? Jesus is the Lamb of God, says John, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Passover lamb, which could be taken from the sheep or the goats. And remember, Jesus is standing on the throne now like a slaughtered lamb. Jesus is the sin offering, which was often a goat or seven goats. And he is the burnt offering, uh, which was usually a sheep. That was an act of just pure worship. Jesus atones for our sin. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, and he himself is our righteousness. Paul writes, he is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption. He's our life, our eternal life. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he bears our sin to distraction, and this is the way theologians put it, his righteousness is imputed to us. Imputed to me, and all of a sudden, there I am, perfect. Uh, imputed to Francis Forgione, perfect. Uh, Mother Teresa Osama bin Laden, uh, Im Im imputed, that means given. All righteousness, I think, is imputed. <laughs> Theologians talk about what's imputed righteousness, what's not imputed right. All righteousness is imputed. All that's right is imputed. All that's good is imputed. Every good choice in you is God's choice in you. It's the fruit of the Spirit of Christ within you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith. You are justified. That means you are made right by faith. The faith of Christ within you. So when you have faith, it's his faith showing up in you. We're saved by the faith of Jesus. This faith is not of yourself, writes Paul. It's the gift of God, lest any should boast. These books are all about boasting. Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's your old man, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, the record of debt. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. At the cross, it's like God opened the books on all the judgments of this world. At the cross, God opened your books and he opened my books with their legal demands. And with his blood, through all my history, past, present, and future, with his own blood, he stamps canceled on every debt. That's what Paul's saying in Colossians chapter 2. 
It's like he picks up Peter Hyatt's book, his, his record of deeds, and, and he starts, uh, you know, just, just looking through it, thinking, hmm, I wonder what we'll find in here. Disrespected his mom 14 times, August 13th, 1975. That is a problem. And so he takes a, a big old rubber stamp and he dips it in blood and he marks, canceled. <laughs> it's canceled. What else is in here? Lust. 5,347 times between 4 and 10 p.m. September 20. I'd like to see what's in your book. <laughs> canceled. Murder in his heart, canceled. Greed, canceled. Slander, canceled. Uh, uh, Playboys at Tim Wren's house, you heard about that, canceled. Um, judging Dave Jones and becoming the accuser of the brethren, canceled. Uh, reading, uh, preaching the gospel just to feed his own ego, ah, canceled. Uh, canceled, canceled, taking the life of the good to justify himself. Canceled, canceled, canceled by my blood. It's all canceled. No more books. No more damn books. No more living by the damn books because you see, that's what they are. Books of damnation. And actually can't live by the books of damnation anymore. Not if you take a, a good look, not if you take a, a second look, because you'll find that in every place of sin, every place of darkness, it's been stamped with the blood of Christ. And so it's no longer a book of damnation. You'll see that the books of condemnation have become what? The testimony of your salvation. The blood of the Lamb poured out over every event in my life is the word of my testimony. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. For every moment, past, present, and future, that we believe God's grace, we crush the head of the ancient serpent. Why? Because all of our accusations, all of his accusations have now become gospel. So when he whispers in your ear, look what you've done, you wretch. Preach to him the gospel. Maybe sing to him the gospel. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's the gospel. Everything you do in faith by grace is the righteousness of Christ rising from the dead within you, the old empty tomb that you thought was you. Do you understand? At the cross, Jesus didn't just cancel out your certificate of debt. He filled all the empty places in you left by sin with his very self, his very life. So now when you go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what do you see? You see that Jesus died for you and that he died with you. All is paid. Your old man is crucified with Christ, but you also see that he rises in you. He is the life within you. The new man is Christ living in you. You see Christ crucified and risen from the dead within you. At the cross, God transformed your certificate of debt into the word of your testimony the gospel according to you and Satan is disarmed 
Juan Carlos Ortiz, he used to say, Satan uh, is disarmed. Christ has canceled your certificate of debt, but Satan took Xerox copies. He found these somewhere, and he, and he, made, he made copies. You see, Satan's only hope is to convince you of falsified documents. His only hope is to convince you that you're not forgiven. Why? Because then you'll begin to try and justify yourself. You'll begin to live by the old books. You'll begin to condemn your neighbors, and then you'll begin to condemn yourself, and then you'll begin to hate God. You choose death and do the work of the accuser for him. You put flesh, your flesh, on the evil one. So they asked Jesus, what must we be doing? People always want to know, Pastor, what must I be doing? They ask Jesus, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, that you trust God is salvation, because that's the death of me is salvation, that you trust God is salvation, Yeshua, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Revelation 20, back to Revelation 20. The dead are judged according to the things in the books, according to their deeds, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done, their works, their deeds. Then death, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the death of death, the lake of fire. And if, 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 if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, whose name does Jesus not write in his book? Maybe those that he does not know. Remember Jesus said that some will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works, Ergon, in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? In fact, Jesus, just look in the books. You'll see in the books. Look in the books. Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus is the truth. The truth does not know your false self your ego. But does he know your true self? You see, maybe he is your true self, hidden in the depths of your false self, your ego. To speak truth, even if it is confessing a lie, to speak truth is to speak Jesus, because he is the truth and the life. Maybe he is the breath that God first breathed into that ball of clay, like the light that enlightens all men, according to John. Whatever the case, he does not know your self-righteous self, because that self is an illusion. But he does know your true self, the honest-to-God self, the lost self. He came to seek and to save the lost. Not some lost, just the lost. He saves each of us from our own sins, that is, our old self, our ego, our flesh. In chapter 19, we saw the Word of God ride in on a white horse, and do you remember? He cut the flesh from all men. Not some, all. Small and great, writes John. Perhaps these are those corpses, great and small, standing before the lake of fire that seems to also be somehow a throne. 
Isaiah 66, at the end of Isaiah, used to be the scariest passage in the Bible for me. Now it, I think it's the most hopeful. At the edge of the New Jerusalem, all people look on the corpses of all people burning in the valley of Gehenna. And they can't help but worship because they have been saved. Saved from what? Themselves. You are your own worst nightmare. At the cross, we surrender our old self and we receive a new self. The old self is destroyed by holy fire. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it's destroyed because it's filled with holy fire. Like the disciples were filled at Pentecost, remember? And so Peter the coward suddenly became Peter the rock. John, uh, the son of thunder, remember because he was so angry? John, the son of thunder, became John the apostle of love. And Saul, the Pharisee, became Paul the apostle of grace to the Gentiles. And so what was once an empty shell doing empty deeds, a vessel of wrath, became a vessel of divine mercy bleeding holy love, which is fire. God is one. God is love. God is fire. Love is fire. The lake is burning love. And you remember that the temple of God is to be filled with eternal fire. We are that temple. And we are predestined to love as God is love. Revelation twenty two twelve. Jesus says this at the end of the revelation. He says, I'm coming soon to bring my reward my reward. I'm coming soon to bring my reward to repay everyone for his deeds. Everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. We cannot pay for empty and evil deeds. We can't pay for anything. But Christ is the payment for all our deeds. All our empty and evil deeds. I think that means he renders grace according to each, uh, according to each and the shape of their sins. He's the manifest presence of God. That's eternal punishment to evil until evil is destroyed and replaced by the good, which is our eternal reward. In other words, he is our payment for evil, and he is our reward, which is the good. He is the substance of God, the substance of God that fills the temple, and we are his temple. God is love, God is fire, Jesus is holy fire in human flesh. He is life eternal, and he finishes us in the image of God. Welcome to the Sabbath rest, the seventh day, God's promised rest. Matthew 25, Jesus says this. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. They don't remember. I bet they don't remember because they weren't keeping score. They weren't using love to earn life. They just lived. 
And so they loved because they loved love. They weren't conscious of the books. And so they weren't conscious of the first and the last or the, or the beginning and the end. The, the, they weren't conscious of the, the first and the last. They, they weren't even conscious of themselves. As if they were dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. They weren't trying to be good. They just were good. They loved the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they loved their neighbors as themselves because love was their nature. That, that is, God was their nature. He who loves is born of God and knows God. God is love. God is holy fire, and you are his temple. You are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good deeds which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. Uh, good deeds which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. You're not saved by your deeds. You're damned by your deeds so you can be saved by God and then do his deeds because you want to do his deeds. And that's the great reward. He's the good, and Jesus is the life, and you are his body. You know, sincerely, I work so hard to be good, to impress you, and to impress God. On Judgment Day, trumpets will sound, and Jesus will say something like this. Peter Hyatt, August 17th, 1987, 5.15 p.m., you gave me a cup of cold water. Enter my kingdom and inherit the joy of your master. And I'll say, um, I don't even remember that. What about, what about the sermons and, and the mission trips and the 4.0 GPA in seminary? I don't even remember that. And he'll say, exactly. For once, Peter, you weren't trying to be good. You just were good. You just were good because I made you good. And I made you good with my judgment of grace. So what am I trying to say? <laughs> Try harder to love? No. Confess that you don't love and receive his love, and it will change you. The one forgiven little loves little, said Jesus. And this is the gospel. You have been forgiven much. Several years ago in Bessarabia, Romania, the Soviet army marched into a particular village, and they, they rounded up all the, the Christians, some 200 of them, and took them into a field. This would have been before 1990. They forced them to dig their own graves because they were about to be shot. When they finished digging the graves, the captain said, whoever renounces Christ can go home immediately. Some decided to be shot, and some decided to renounce their faith and returned to the village. While they were going back to the village and the executions were about to begin, a man came running from uh, the village out toward the field screaming. This was a man that had been expelled from the church for gross sins. The man came running and screaming, shoot me too, shoot me too, shoot me too. I'm a bad Christian, but a bad Christian is also a Christian. A bad Christian also has a right to die for Jesus. Shoot me too. You see, he wasn't a bad Christian. 
He was a new creation. He was the image of the invisible God. Forgiven much, we love much, and we bleed fire like Jesus. So when we did our absolute worst, he revealed his very best. He took the bread, our Passover lamb, and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you, take and eat. And in the same manner, he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. You know, in Revelation 20, we read that death was thrown into the lake of fire. And that's the second death, the death of death, and death will be no more, we'll read in the next chapter. In 2 Timothy 1.10, Paul writes this, that Jesus abolished death, <laughs> past tense. Just as Isaiah prophesied, on this mountain I will swallow up death forever. On that mountain, uh, that Jesus was crucified, Mount Zion. On that mountain, Jesus bled holy fire, the life and love of God. You don't need to fear the lake of fire if you've already been filled with the holy fire. So in Jesus' name, confess your old self and receive your new self. Believe the gospel. Amen. Pray this with me. And you can make your prayer, my, my prayer, your prayer, hopefully. God, I, I confess that I just seem to live by these books all the time. Even as I'm preaching, I feel the, the judgments of the books pulling at me. And God, I'm sick of the books. I'm sick of sin. And I think my friends probably are too. And so, Lord God, this morning we want to surrender our books. We surrender our judgment to your judgment, Father. We confess our sins and we receive your mercy. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. Dark cup is wine. Light cup is juice. They're both fire. And you're the sanctuary. That's the temple. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you washed us. You washed our garments in your blood. The blood of the Lamb made them white as snow. Amen. Now, people always want to know, is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Well, what's your name? Is it a name that you made for yourself? Like reverend, or doctor, professor, is it a good name that you made for something you consider good? Maybe it's a bad name that you made for yourself, like loser or thief or whore. 
If it's a name you made for yourself, no. <laughs> it's not in the book. And that's the offense of the gospel. That's the scandal of the cross, that you cannot save yourself, you cannot justify yourself, you cannot redeem yourself. But you see, this is the good news. That was never actually your name. <laughs> you thought you made a name for yourself, but that's not who you are. In fact, you're just beginning to discover who you are. You know, John, uh, he referred to himself as the beloved. That's all he called himself that in his gospels, the beloved. Uh, that's what the father called Jesus, his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. And John wrote this in 1 John. We don't know exactly what we will be, but we know that we will be like him. You see, God is revealing who you are, and the truth is that you are far better than you ever possibly imagined. So there's no way that you're going to stand before the throne and be disappointed in you. Because the new you is a unique expression of the living God made in his very own image. Who so is my name in the Lamb's book of life? Well, not the one you make for yourself, but the one God has made for you. Absolutely. Listen to, I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all over scripture. We just freak out because we realize that we're not the person that we, we think we are which is great news, but in John 6, Jesus says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And then verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He already told them in uh, chapter 3, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. You are God's creation. And everything that God makes is good. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel, amen.